Thank you, Father, this morning that we can gather in this place with freedom. We can gather, Father, with a willful intent to fellowship, but more to worship, to honor you for who you are, to gain strength from your word, from your Holy Spirit, and from each other. We pray, Father, thanking you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made and that that truth is still relevant today and being taught. And we pray, Father, that each one this morning as we look to the Old Testament will still find relevant truth directed by the Holy Spirit for our lives today. We just pray for your guidance and for your power to be in control. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Anybody here ever have to go to a doctor or a clinic and have your heart checked? Anybody? Yeah. You had a electrocardiogram with the little suction cups on you or whatever. Always great fun. How about a stress test where you have to get on the old treadmill and have the mask on your face and all that and they check your heart to see how your heart is. Well, the heart is an amazing creation by God and not only found in us, but even little lowly earthworms have hearts, okay? So the heart... And if we've got a little picture, I think, of the heart this morning to put up here, some facts about the physical organ that you have inside of you. In your body, connected to your heart, 96,000 kilometers of blood vessels. Enough, if stretched out, to go around the earth three times. All packed in your body. No wonder I have a weight problem. A hundred trillion cells in transport in your body all the time. A hundred trillion. That's more money than Kurt makes in a year. Your heart, which is about the size of your fist, 300 grams, pumps five liters every minute through your body. It beats around 70 times a minute, maybe more, maybe less for some people, which turns out to about 100,000 a day, heartbeats, and in your lifetime, 3 billion or more or less, depending on how long you live. So this organ inside of us is an amazing, amazing thing. But it's also been proven that as the Old Testament and the New Testament talks about the heart, and as we talked about the heart in our songs this morning, the heart has always been considered in literature and a lot of places as the center of who you are, your emotions and, you, and your feelings. Anybody here ever expressed something that was heartfelt? Have you ever said to somebody, I love you with all my heart? Have you ever had a heartache? Not gas, but a heartache. It's actually been tested and proven that your heart has the ability to produce chemicals and enzymes that affect your thinking and also affect your endocrine system and how you feel all over your body. So the heart is not just pumping blood, it actually does. It is a place that we feel things emotionally and that's why God uses the heart and talks about it in the way that he does in scripture and other ancient literature does as well. Now in the Psalm 101 that we looked at this morning, the heart is mentioned several times. And this psalm is talking about 
really talking about a person's relationship with God. And I'm going to start with the third mention of the heart and then back up towards the first mention and look at three things about the heart that are, I think, critical to the Christian this morning. Okay? First of all, it talks about not having a prideful heart or a heart that is too wrapped up in ourselves. Now, the biggest, I guess, to me, the biggest wall between most people in God is their pride. At least for men, I think this may be the case anyway. The thing that keeps us away from God and keeps most people who are out there still sleeping in their beds from being involved with God is that they want to be able to live the life that they want to live. They want to be in charge. They want to fix all their problems. They want to run their life the way they want. That is a very prideful position to be in because the scripture talks about that without God, we really can't do anything. So there is an opposition. So for most people and for what the scripture talks about, for us to come to God, we have to have a, a heart transplant. We have to get rid of an arrogant, prideful heart and, and be replaced with a humble heart with a heart that recognizes our need for God, recognizes we need a relationship with the God who created us. Now, I know there's lots of people in the world that say there is no God anymore. They've been saying that for a long time, and God is still operating. He's still working. What people's opinion is of what God is doesn't change who God is. And we need to have a new heart. That's why I like Psalm 51. Verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The New Testament talks about when we come to Christ, all things are made new. And I think it starts with our heart. The arrogance and the pride has to go away. And that's kind of usually when a lot of people come to God is when something happens in their life and their pride is broken. When you get to the point where you can't fix everything or you can't fix anything anymore and you know it and you're desperate, that's when a lot of people start looking up instead of at themselves. And that's the beginning point for the creation of a new heart, which God is able to do. He can remove the arrogant, prideful heart and replace it with a sensitive, humble heart. And I think that's the only explanation for when we see people who make drastic turnarounds in their life. I mean 180-degree uh, turnarounds in their life, going one direction completely down the hill, and all of a sudden, they're moving in a new direction. It has to be God doing a transplant inside. This destructful, and it talks about this in other scriptures, this destructful, deceitful heart has to be removed. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, we don't like to think that's talking about us. That's talking about those people that do all the horrible things out there in the world. But what separates you from that person who does those horrible, unspeakable things? Very few things. Our heart is capable of corruption and deceit and destruction. And the only salvation we have is that God can give us a new heart and a new way to think and a new way to act. And I believe that God does that for the Christian. When you come to Christ, and as we sang about this morning, when your prideful, arrogant heart is replaced by a humble heart, 
And when you turn to the cross and in grace, you say, do for me what I can't do for myself, then God gives you that new heart. Because from then on, you're not looking to yourself for the answers. You're looking to God for the answers. You're looking for Christ to make your life anew. The second thing in this scripture that talks about the heart calls it a perverse heart. And it tells us in verse 4 that we're supposed to guard our hearts, I think. Now, anybody who's had a heart transplant or had open heart surgery or bypass surgery, they have to be very, very careful for a long time that they don't get sick. They would have a mask on if they talked to Danny this morning. They didn't want any of his germs, especially anybody with a transplant, because what's the, what's the danger of a transplant? Rejection. Okay, so they're on a lot of medication and things to keep them from rejecting that and to guard that heart, that new heart, to keep it from any disease or illness that would corrupt the situation. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Some translations use the word guard there. Guard your heart with all diligence. And this scripture gives us some things to guard our hearts from. The first thing it says, and I like this, it says, don't look at worthless things. Wow. That doesn't mean don't go to the dump and just look at what garbage is thrown away there, except it kind of does in the heart realm. Don't look at the dump site of life. Now, this is a very tough commandment to keep. I venture to say that this week you have probably turned on your television and you've watched something that was worthless. I mean, you sat there and after you watched it for a while, you're thinking, why am I watching this? This is useless. This is worthless. Probably if you've gone on your computer and maybe you've and maybe like I do occasionally, scroll down through Facebook. How long do you have to scroll through Facebook till you see something worthless? When I say worthless, I mean it has very little or no value to you as a person. Am anybody else guilty of this? I see smiles. Do I, can I hear some confessions this morning? And, and if, if we're going back to last week's sermon, do I hear an amen this morning? Amen. That says that you agree with what I'm saying. That's a foreign word to you. Amen means so be it. Yes, I agree. And if you're all excited about what I'm saying, you jump out of your chair and say amen. But I'm not really hoping for that this morning. I can see that some of you need an infusion of coffee right now. Avoid the worthless things. I've got an overhead here, a, a little article that a guy wrote, Jasper, which is a great name, Jasper Morrison. Anybody here named Jasper? Okay. Middle name, Jasper? No, okay. Six-point manifesto for a better existence. Show useful things greater respect. It's number one thing. Show the things that are useful greater respect. Now, what's the converse of that? Show no respect to the things that are useless. Devalue useless things by putting them on eBay with very, very low buy-now prices. Everyone should do this at the same time. Get rid of the useless things. And we're not just talking about the junk in the corner, but things that not, do not build you up, but actually tear you down. 
in a physical sense maybe, but more so in a spiritual sense. Think about the things that you let into your life that actually hurt you spiritually and hurt your relationship with God. Support your local bookstore, that, and all that stuff, useful. I don't care about that, okay? The first two points were what I wanted to, to use that for. Avoid, don't look at the worthless things. And how critical is it when you're trying to guard your heart to keep it from being infected is, is to have this, uh, I guess on TV, your TVs, it's called the parent smart thing. What's that called? What, 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 what the parents set up the guidelines, controls. I can't think of what that's called right now. Parental control. Have, have a spiritual control of your eyes and your mind that a little bell rings. The Holy Spirit rings a little bell when you start looking at worthless, useless things. I've used this many times. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to use it again. When you have a television in your home, it's like the garbage truck of the world is backed up to your door and ready to unload. And if you have the internet in your home, it's like the sewage lines of the world are connected to your home, ready to dump. You have the control, though, of whether the garbage truck tips up and lets it out or whether the internet pours it out into your home. You have the control of that, but it's there. The world's garbage, the worst horrible things of those sick, deceitful hearts we were talking about is right there at your fingertips. And so you have to guard yourself against it. It also tells us here to detest the work of the God-haters. Detest the work of the God-haters. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in for a second. If you're not a God-lover, you can't really, I know this, you want to think you can be, but if you're not a God lover, if you're not for God, you are against him. And if you don't want to build up the things of God, you probably, by your not doing anything, tearing down the things of God. And if you do anything other than that, you're actually trying to destroy the kingdom of God. And that makes you a God hater. And there's a lot of people out there, a lot of forces out there, a lot of voices out there who are God haters who want to tear down the things of God. And I think you recognize that. And I think you recognize it when you hear it. And when you see it, you think, what is that person's agenda? Well, their agenda may be their own personal thing. But if the thing that's coming out of their mouth and the thing that they're spewing out there is tearing down the things that God says, they are God-haters. And it says here we're supposed to detest that work. And if we detest it, that means we stay away from it. And we speak against it when we get the opportunity. This is how we guard our heart. The third thing here is we have to develop the new heart. Now, this is, everybody knows this. You read it all the time. If you want to be strong and healthy, what do you need to do? Exercise. Because what does exercise do? It strengthens our cardio, I know, Bruce, it's a shocker, our cardiovascular system, which is pumping that blood. You want to keep your heart strong. You don't want it all plugged up with garbage around the arteries. You don't want those little veins and stuff that are 96 million miles of them, kilometers or whatever. You don't want to lose 100,000 kilometers of them. You don't want to lose that. And so the exercise is the key. We want to make our hearts strong, in other words. And so spiritually, it's the same thing. 
The psalmist David wanted people to have strong hearts in relationship to God. He uses the word heart, is talking about emotion and strength and feelings. And he used several things here, he says. He says he wants us to model the faithful. Model the faithful. Anybody here have any childhood heroes when you were growing up? Did you ever set out to do something because somebody you admired did it? Let me ask you that. Anybody? I think we all have people we've looked up to, and we set out to do things because we admired them, and we want to be able to do it too. When I was in like eight, nine years old, Ted Klozuski was the first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. They called him Big Clue. He had arms like this. He played first base, and he could whack the home run. Man, when I was 10 years old, I wanted to be Ted Klozuski. I'd go out to the backyard. Man, I'd hit those balls. Man, I wanted to be Ted Klozuski. As you can see, I lost that somewhere along the line. <laughs> but I also had a father who was a godly man. And I, I still think I model some of my father because he was a godly man. He was someone I wanted to model in a way that he did a lot of things. So model the faithful. Look around you. And Paul recognized this because Paul told people. He actually said, imitate me. Now, that's, that sounds pretty strong, but he knew that he was moving in the right direction. He said, imitate me. Model after those who are faithful. You know people who are faithful today? Ask them questions. What's your secret? How do you remain faithful? How do you study God's word? Talk to people that you admire, read their books, and say, yes, I'm going to do some of those things because that person is a role model to me as a Christian. It also says, ponder the works of the blameless. That's another thing. It ties right into it. Blameless people, people that have a great reputation, ponder, how did they get there? How did they become like that? And how can I become more like that? Not because I'm worshiping them, but because I want to model the work of Christ in a person. And it's way easier to model in somebody who actually exists than to think about somebody in the Old Testament and we've never seen, we only read about. Actually look at people that you can see and talk to and add that to the faithfulness of the people in the Bible. Another very important thing about developing your heart is to always keep yourself in perspective. We said it was a humble heart. How do you keep yourself humble? You keep yourself in perspective to God. There's a, a picture here I would like you to see. It's pretty cool. It says, whenever you get too worked up about politics, religion, money, or life overall, life overall just remember you are here and the universe is there. We're just a tiny Speck. And I think that worship, when we come and we bow ourselves before God and we sing praises to him, it helps us keep in perspective where we fit in the schemes of things. We don't get so puffed up with ourselves. We just see that we are a small part of God's kingdom and God's work and God's universe. We can't be, think that we're the center of it all. We're not. We're not the center of it all. I actually don't like a lot of the modern teachings, 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 I sound like I'm back in Kentucky there, teachings where 
people are promoting, always promote yourself. You're number one, you're number one, you're number one. Think about yourself, put yourself first. I think we naturally do that. We have to work hard to not always put ourselves first. I think the natural tendency is to be prideful and arrogant. We have to work against that to keep ourselves humble. And I think worship is very important in that keeping ourselves in perspective to God, keeping ourselves in that place where we recognize that God is the one who he really is, who knows all, sees all, and can do all. And the final thing about exercise, of course, they say the best exercise is walking. Overall, the best exercise for your body is good, rigorous walking. And it tells us here that we're supposed to walk the walk of integrity and a heart of integrity in my house. In other words, walk in integrity myself. Practice walking in integrity and being real and honest before God and before man, walking that way so that we're never ashamed when we go before God that we didn't do what we thought we should do, that God told us to do in situations. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As you received Christ as Lord, walk in him. Now, how did you receive Christ as, as Lord? In faith and in humility, right? When you came to Christ, you said, God, I can't save myself. I'm humble before you. And I believe that the cross will save me. I believe the blood of Christ will save me, what I can't do for myself. So we come to Christ. We receive Christ in faith and humility. And that's how we have to walk. Now, we say walk in faith, walk in integrity. What does that mean? Walk in faith means that when I come to a situation and I know clearly that God's word tells me I should do this, but I feel like doing this. Hmm. Now, if I'm prideful, well, my way has got to be better than God's way, right? Because look at me. So my pride is telling me, do it my way, right? And also, I don't know if I can trust. If I do it this way, I might have this problem and this problem, and somebody might not like me, like me blah, blah, blah. So we start rationalizing. Faith is saying, trust me. We're saying, I can't trust him. So faith and humility over here, pride, and lack of faith over here. So walking in integrity, walking in the way that you received Christ as Lord, means that when you come to decisions, when you come to problems, when you come to obstacles, you say, God, how should I handle this? God reveals, maybe through his word, maybe through the Holy Spirit, this is what I want you to do. And you go, I don't, I, no, I think I'll go this way. Did you just walk in integrity before God? Did you walk in faith and humility before God? No. You walked in pride and you walked in the lack of faith. Think of the great people in the scriptures when they were faced with dilemmas. God says to Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood. Had that ever happened before? No. He said, I want you to build a giant boat that was as big as three football fields. So you, I want you to gather up all the animals on the earth. And Noah's going, hmm, I've never seen a flood like that. I don't know how to get all the animals. I don't know. How, I've, I've never even taken a carpentry course. I, didn't, I failed shop in high school. So it's like, mm, I don't know. He was faced with the dilemma. Do he, does he walk in trust and faith and obedience, humility, 
do what God says or do what he says, wants to do. I don't think he wanted to build a boat that big, but he followed God. David and Goliath, I want you to take some stones from the creek and your sling, and I want you to go out there and take on the biggest soldier that there is who's got a helmet and a shield and he's got a spear as big as a weaver's beam, and I want you to go out there and tackle him. Do you think David said, oh, sure, that's a great idea. In his heart, he had to decide, am I going to walk in faith and humility and trust in God, or am I going to do what I want to do, which is run and go back home to my sheep and play my harp? And we can go all the way through, all the way up to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who in the garden said, not my will, but thine be done. He was struggling because he knew what the cross was going to be. He knew the pain, he knew the cost, and he was struggling and he, in faith and in humility, he said, not my will, but thine be done. He did what he had to do, and that's why we're here today, because he walked in integrity. And so we folks receive a new heart when you become a Christian, guard it, and then walk to develop that heart in the way of integrity, in the way of Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Fathers, we come to this time of communion at the end of our service, we pray, Father, that as we take the elements that remind us of your body and blood, that we will think about our connection with you, about the heart that you've given us, how we're guarding it, and how we're walking in it. And we pray that you'll just strengthen each one of us as we go through this time of examination. And we just, again, give you praise, and we give you thanks, because what you've done for us, we can't even put into words, even though the Psalms try, the songs we sing try, our efforts in our own prayers we try, but yet it's, it's beyond our comprehension. But we believe it and we trust in you, Father. Just guide us through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pass by and we'll sing some songs.